Yeah. Hey, I'm Chuck, and I get to be the pastor here, and I love you guys, and I'm so grateful you're here. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite Bible characters, Caleb. Um, but before I get into that, I want to finish this Operation Christmas Child thing just to make sure you got it one more time, all right? So when it's all said and done, 1,200 boxes. Uh, Operation Christmas Child felt like Sugar Hill Church uh, was the kind of church that could handle not putting the natural Christianly stuff that we put in, in the boxes in the years past. And uh, it's not because we, we would ever want to do anything that would take Christ out of Christmas of anything. We, we want to fill it with Christ. But if these boxes cannot get past customs and these boxes cannot get past the docks, no children are going to get anything. And just by her testimony, what you can see is this. When you pray over a box that is being sent to a boy or girl, just because it doesn't have a New Testament in it doesn't mean Jesus won't use it. God is not stuck inside of a box that requires what we think a kid in the Middle East needs. He is far bigger than the box and he is far bigger than the need and he is way bigger than the Middle East. And so I wanna encourage you, be bold in your faith in this way. Pack the box and pray Jesus over the kid that's going to get it. Because the fact of the matter is, the prayer that will move the heart of God toward that child is such a powerful tool. And if you believe it's powerful, you will pray over it with your very life to ensure that that boy and girl, A, is safe, and B, knows they're loved, and C, gets to have a follow-up with a missionary on the field and know that Jesus is real. And I want to urge you, we are a church that stepped up and said, bless God, that's what we're about, and we will do that. And so I, I cannot thank you enough. By the way, last week, we wanted to help the victims of uh, the hurricane in Texas, in Louisiana. And I promised Convoy of Hope, our, our partner, that we'd get you $10,000. And I thought you might raise three or $4,000 to help us do that. And we were already starting to figure out where are we going to find money in the budget to do that extra 6000 You made it real easy because you gave almost $16,000 last week. Yeah, thank you. And while you're clapping about that, I want us to stop and pray for our folks in Florida today uh, because those needs are going to be significant as well. Uh, I wrote a blog post earlier this week where I made a big deal about if we really want to make a big deal about immigration or if we want to really be a part of trying to serve disaster relief, then let faith-based organizations and let us act like Christians where we give, we go, we serve, and we help people in need, and let us never stop being that church. So let's stop for a minute. And if you're here today and you are from Florida, we had a lot of folks in our 930 service that were here. If you've kind of come to stay with family or get away from Florida, can you just raise your hand? I'd love to see you. Yeah, yeah, we got some folks up here. So uh, you know what we want to do? We want to pray for you. Yeah, we want to pray for you. Welcome. Lord Jesus, um, I don't suppose we'll know until heaven why you allow these things to happen. And Lord, I have grown weary try to, trying to understand them. The one thing I do understand is in the aftermath of the rage of a storm, it is easy to see how your people step in to bring peace and hope. Lord, we don't know why these things happen when they happen. And Lord, this side of heaven, we may never. I am so grateful that when we get to heaven, it won't matter. Lord, would you protect the folks in Florida where this storm is hitting even right now? Lord, I have dear friends in Naples and Fort Myers and our folks in this congregation and watching online have dear friends across Florida. Many of them couldn't get out. 
And Lord, would you go before them and make a way in such, in such that they would feel peace in the middle of the storm. God bless and keep these dear folks. And then may, uh, may the people of God show up in force to give and to go and to serve in areas just to simply help people. Lord, there's no question that you would lead this church into the midst of the storm to serve people. Lord, we want to be in lockstep with you. So Lord, guard and protect our friends and our family that is in the path of this storm and call us to uh, do all that we can do in your name because in your name we can do all things. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. So let's talk about Caleb a little bit. Over in Joshua chapter 14, we find the story of Caleb. That's pretty interesting. Caleb's name means dog. Now think about that. His parents named him dog. Not Billy, not Chuck, not Jenny, not Dina, dog. Now, you know, unless you're a bounty hunter, that doesn't really work. But the fact is, you know, dog at that time would not have been a very cool statement because you didn't have pets like we keep Kirby, our dog. You know, I mean, we, we, didn't, we don't keep pets like you keep a dog or, or a cat. For some reason, you keep a cat. But I mean, they, all those things, we, we, they didn't have that. These animals were a nuisance or they were food, one or the other. And so when, when you name a kid dog, you have set him as an outcast, not just in your family, but in your community. And you've definitely set him as an outcast in your church. What you've done when you called him dog is you said he is wild and he is unwanted. When your family looked at this and chose to make this claim, then he was lost from all inheritance. He was lost from being invited to any of the family function. He was a man without a country. Caleb had a past that was pretty checkered because he was never given a choice. Caleb had been written off. But Caleb in this story in a few minutes is going to claim in the promised land that God has given the people of Israel, he is going to claim a national treasure as his. He's going to claim what was destined to be a much visited memorial because there is where Abraham would have received his instruction and Abraham had been buried. And in Joshua chapter 14, verse 6, we start our story. A delegation from the tribe of Judah led by Caleb. Stop right there. If you're one of those people that doesn't mind writing in your, in, in your Bible, I want you to take that and just put a forward slash right behind led by Caleb before you get to the word son. Because what we're saying in here already is that, 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 that Caleb has been grafted into one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Caleb has been brought in, he's an outsider, but they have welcomed him into their family and now he has been grafted into the family and the people of God in, in front of one of the 12 tribes. Now he happens to be a part of the tribe of Judah. Now it goes on and it talks about how he's the son of Jephne and he is and, and the Kenzite came to Joshua in Gilgal and Caleb said to Joshua, listen to this, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea? You see in that point the promise made was this, that you will have your choice of the land that you're to inherit. God had already given a promise to Joshua and to Caleb that they would have their pick. Now, we're about to find out why God favored them. And so if you keep reading, you will see, I, in verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. 
I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my, listen to this, for my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, the background on this story is this, that the Israelite people are just across the Jordan River from inheriting the promised land. They're going to inherit the land that God has promised going all the way back to Abraham. This is what is yours. So what happens is, the 12 tribes of Israel, they have gotten near the river, they can see the land, but they send one person to do a little reconnaissance from each tribe over into the land of Canaan. And when they come back to give their report, 10 of them say, "Uh uh-uh, no, this can't be done. That land is inhabited by giants. Now, if you go over to the science museum found over in Israel, you will find femur bones that would relate to the same size as Samson, nine to 10 feet high. And there are hundreds and hundreds of them. And in this and in this place where these giants live, remember that an average male, adult male, at that time, he was pretty tall if he was 5'5 five, five or 5'6. Five, and he is walking into a land and he's seeing people that are almost 10 feet high. Now, I don't know about you, but the fact is, you might be really good at playing ping pong, but when you're playing that guy, he can hit your ball for you. I mean, this is a big man. This guy doesn't have a bowl of lucky charms. He has a case of lucky charms. This, these are people that eat everything in sight. As a matter of fact, what history records them as in the land of Anon, they refer to them as the mysterious ones. Nobody knows why they are what they are. So 12 people go to spy out the land. Now watch this. They go to spy out the land even though God has promised that it's all yours. He's already said to Moses, you're going to have that land. He'd already promised Abram, you're going to have that land. But they send 12 people to spy it out. 10 of the 12 come back and say, there's giants in the land. There's no way that we can do this. God must have missed. He, he forgot about those giants. God wouldn't have us go in there. We're going we're to be like cockroaches under their boot. We're going to get wiped out. Two people came back and said, watch this. They're big. But that just means they have a bigger target. They're big, but just wait. We are going to take them out. And now you must be thinking, those two have been smoking the hymnal. What are they thinking? At the end of the day, the ten never inherited the land. They never walked in the land. And as a matter of fact, they, they taught and preached and they screamed and they argued so that the rest of the people alive at that time, they didn't inherit the land. But out of all that crowd, you know who did? The two. After all these years, after all of this time, after all these centuries, after all of the time that we have been away from being there personally, we have never found out who were the 10 people. But we do remember the two. Remember the two to know that they are Caleb and Joshua. We know that they walked into the promised land. They're the ones that came back from the sightseeing tour, from the reconnaissance, and they got all puffed up and said, yeah, they're big, but watch this. We are going to take them out. Do you remember David and Goliath? David shows up 
and he's a runny little boy. He's too big to wear the armor. He takes a slingshot. He stops and picks up five smooth stones. He looks at Goliath, uh, some nine feet, nine inches tall. He looks at Goliath and he says, I've come in the name of the Lord that you have cursed and I'm about to cut your head off. Now, I don't know about you, but listen, I want that kind of boldness. I want to look at my giants tomorrow and say, I'm going to come cut your flipping head off. Because I want, the, I want the world to look back at me and say, oh, come on, really? You and whose army? Me and the Lord of hosts. What do you got to say about that, big dog? Me and the God of all creation. What do you think about that? Me and the God that you are mocking. That's how. And by the way, he's going to do 99.99% of the work and all I have to do is obey him. Can you imagine what the giants would have thought about that? Scripture goes on, look in verse 7. I was 40 years old. He's saying I was 40 years old when Moses said this is the deal. So by the time he comes around from that, he's 85 years old. In verse 10 it says, now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive. And well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made his promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me out on that journey. Whatever he's taking, I want. Because at 85, you know what he's saying? Bring it. That all you got? You, you, you mean 10 feet, that's all you got? Come on, really? This isn't even a fair fight. I'm gonna clean your clock. Look what happens. Verse 12, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me, which by the way, it was inhabited by the giants. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of that land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. And Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephthah, and Kesnite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Have you ever wondered, why do the people in the Middle East fight over everything? Just read that text and you'll know why. Because everything has significance there. And the significance to Caleb is that God has promised that the giants will be his. God has promised that nothing before him can keep him from what God has promised him. What we're seeing here is that in the giants you face this week, in the giants you face tomorrow, the giants you face in your checking account, at your, at your job, with your doctor, in your home, with your children, with your parents, with whatever's going on in your soul that has caused you to be weak and weary, God is saying, whatever that giant is, look at it, claim it, claim my name, and cut its flipping head off. And I think to myself, my goodness, as a golf clap if I have ever heard one. Listen to me, folks. God is not in the business of promising you something and not delivering on the promise. God has promised that in him you could do all things. God promised a plan for you that you would, you would actually prosper. Plans that were designed for you specifically. 
a God who knows all, a God who delivers all, a God who promises all, and a God who makes good on every promise. On the surface, we'd be inclined to ask this of Caleb, who do you think you are, dude? I mean, can you imagine the people who just knew he was an outsider? Hey, isn't your name Dog? Like, come here, dog. Who are you to claim that land? Who are you to say that you can take care of these giants? Who are you to be able to say that the Lord has promised you this inheritance? Who are you to say that you can do all things? Who are you? Who do you dare think you are? Haven't you had people say that before? Who do you think you are? Listen, can I tell you, if you're a follower of Christ today, the next time somebody says, who do you think you are? Especially with a head bob. You know what I encourage you to do? I am an image bearer of the Most High God. I am a child of the King. I am a co-heir to the throne of glory, and I've been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb, and I don't know who you think you are, but I'll promise you, I know who I am. Because you see, the giants, they can't handle that. The giants don't like it when you look at them and say, I'm about to cut your head off. The giants don't like it when you look at their intimidating face and say, you're nothing compared to my God. Who's going to go before you, big boy? Nobody. Because you believe this is about you. And God says this is about him. So when the world offers that, could I just say, if you want to, if you want to succeed greatly against your giants, get in the foxhole with God, not with the giant. I look at this and I think to myself, Caleb is staking his claim on the choicest parcel of land that God has promised his people. By what right does he have to claim it? Hundreds of years of Jews had dreamed of this day when Israel would lay claim to what God had long ago pledged to Abraham. Canaan lay just beyond the Jordan River. He was there. And in every tent in the camp of Israel, the same question was being asked by many of our homes and the conversations we're having with our spouses and our kids and our parents. Just exactly how are we going to do this? And then you can go to Barnes and Noble, you can go online, you could build Gantt charts, you could build productivity charts, you could start coming up with a better productivity planner, you could put a list, you could have a bunch of sticky notes, you could do all those things. At the end of the day, there's one thing you must claim if indeed you're going to know exactly how are we going to do this. And that is found with how scruffed up are your knees before a holy God. You see, we're big on the power of God. We love that concept that he's going before us. We love it that he's going to cut our enemy's heads off. We love it that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But the part that we seem to lack is when we say, I know the greatest point I have is to be on my knees before a holy and a righteous God. And in that prayer is where I found the power of God. In that prayer is where I found the presence of God. In there was where I found the supernatural power of God as he did the work within me. I wonder if we're going into tomorrow with a good plan or a God plan. I wonder if the inevitable where we're struggling and we're not sleeping, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this. I wonder if it's because it's my plan or is it a God plan? Is it your therapist's plan or is it a God plan? Is it some preacher's plan or is it a God plan? Because see, if it's a God plan, he's going to speak it into your life and it will forever be truth. 
Twelve men went to spy in Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and strong. Some grapes with clusters long. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. All 12 spoke about how incredible the regions were. Only two said, we can trust our God. He has promised this. There's only one hitch. We just have to go deal with the giants. I wonder sometimes if we miss the very best that God has for our life because we've spent so much time worrying about the giants. No, please, don't let me say this like I think I figured this out. Jenny has to remind me on a regular basis, Chuck, what did you just preach? What did you just pray? I know how to fret, I know how to worry, I know how to get anxious. I I can do that stuff so stinking well, it's ridiculous how well I can forget the power of God. And then he shows up and he blows my mind again and I cannot wait to claim it again. So claim it today. Our dream of the promised land is an impossible dream that we're like grasshoppers under their boots. And Caleb dared to plead with Israel not to measure what can be done as man would measure it, but to see those obstacles and see God can do it. He didn't have to look back and say what might have been someday because he got there. You see, what do you think you are? Who do you think you are? makes all the difference in the world in how you answer that silly question. You know what it is? I am an image bearer of the Most High God. I was created in the image of God Almighty. I am his child. I am walking hand in hair. I am joint heirs with the kingdom. I am being sat at the royal table. We can say that when we know Jesus has inhabited our heart and we look at the giant and know we can't beat him and yet know that he can I look at this and I think Caleb looks up on that high mount and he looks at Joshua and he says, I want that one. I want that one. God promised me that one. I am not going to settle until I get to that one. I'm not going to stop until I get to that one. I'm not going to give up until I get to that one. I am not going to break down and cry. I'm going to get to that one. I'm not going to become a whiner. I'm going to get to that one. I am not going to just become mediocre. I'm going to get that mountain. And he says it because God said, you have been given that mountain. Listen, friend, God has already given you life that is to be lived in abundance and life eternal. He's already won for you and for me. Why in heaven's name would we want anything less than that mountain? And I look at myself and I think, Chuck, by what claim, by what right could he claim that? By right of faith in the promises of God. By right of boldness when it nearly cost him his life. By right of perseverance, when the passing of years could have dulled his zeal, but mostly by right of the fabulous faithfulness of Caleb's God. Listen, I like you, I've prayed for a lot of things in my life that I haven't seen come, come to pass yet. I've prayed for so many things I haven't seen pass yet, but I'm only 57. If the Lord would give me another 20 years, there's no telling what I might see. I might even see it this afternoon. I might even see it tomorrow morning. But when I hear the promise of God, he didn't come together and say, by this date at this time, I'm gonna deliver. But he is waiting for me to be perseverant and trying to be honorable and trying to have faith and try to cling to him. Hand over your past to, to your divine. 
Listen, if you're stuck because you're just thinking, well, I screwed up, I made a mess, I've made so many bad choices, I've just made a mess of my life. Look right here, let me give you some of the greatest theological truths I can give you. You ready? Look right here, you ready? Stop it! Your past only dictates your future if you let it. Drop it, cut it out, leave it behind. Because listen, God is the owner of your future. God is the owner of today. God is the one who forgives all of yesterday. God is the one that is calling you to a better tomorrow. All we have to do to claim that is him. But watch this, if we claim it and it's not what we think it is, then we get to be whiners. Well, you know, it's just not what God... More theological proof, you ready? Shut up. I'm the best whiner in the world. I promise, you know, the Lord has said to me all day long, Chuck, shut up. We have promised you the mountain. You know, sometimes circumstances do keep our prayer life from feeling like it should be weaker, doesn't it? I mean, I have times where I'm full-blown meltdown. It's like, Cord, come on. I'm trying to do some really cool stuff here. And the Lord is looking back at me and saying, yeah, I know, and you're trying to do it all in your power. Chuck, shut up. Come sit with me. Come chat. It's going to be the best time you're ever going to spend because you can't claim the mountain without me. And if you come sit with me, I'll show you how we're going to do it. I remember reading, and I'm a bit of a history buff, and on October 29, 1941, Winston Churchill gave that famous speech that captivated a generation. He stood before the student body of Harrow College, and he said, never give in, never give in, never, 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 and nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense, never give in. And he sat down, and I think every now the Lord wants to say to us, stop giving in. Stop caving. Caleb the dog lived out his days in Hebron because he gave his past up to God. He let God call the shots of the present and he believed God for his future. How about you? How about me? Let's pray. Lord God, today, would you give us great wisdom to know how we might live for you, how we might trust you, And Lord, we are keenly aware that we cannot fully trust apart from living in the presence and the power of Jesus the Lord. So Lord, I know there are folks that are sitting here today and life has not been very easy for them. And that the Lord is calling them to trust. So Father, would you you give them great strength? Would you give them great courage? to say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I want to ask you to forgive me of my selfishness and my sin. I want to thank you for dying for me, having your body broken and your blood shed for the forgiveness of my sin. I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you. And thank you for hearing my prayer and saving me today. Lord, we're grateful that even now we get to remember you. We get to remember your broken body. We get to remember your shed blood. This is what you called us to do, to preach your name, to remember you, and to love you. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.